0: Heavenly Father, as we think about your word this evening, please would you uh, help us to understand more about you, your amazing plans, and your amazing plans for your people. Amen. Now, as Kat said, we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. We've got a series which we dip into from time to time called Good Gathering this is the gathering. So we're thinking about church and what church means. And I realize that uh, so far we haven't done anything on a really important Bible picture for the church, which is what the Bible says about marriage and the church. And the moment we look at this, we're treading into all sorts of sensitive, tricky issues and becoming increasingly more sensitive by the day. So Knowing that this has got some sharp edges, let me say one big caveat at the beginning, okay? Which is, marriage is a picture of the Christian life, and so is singleness. Singleness is a picture of single-minded devotion to Jesus. Paul uses that, you remember. He talks about, I I wish you were all as single-mindedly devoted to Jesus as I am. So if you're single, your singleness is a picture of your Christian life. Marriage is a picture of the church, not of an individual Christian life, but of a, of a gathered Christian life. So marriage is a picture of, we'll find out more about it, Mar- marriage is a picture of church, whereas singles is a picture of discipleship. Both, Christ- are, both pictures are for all Christians. Every Christian needs both pictures. We're, we're not privileging one or the other. Tonight, we're going to think about marriage. So, if you know anything about the, the Old Testament, all the stuff that comes before Jesus, you will know that there is one consistent picture that runs through of the relationship between God and his people, which is that he says he is the husband and they are the bride. It's a picture of love and joy and exclusive faithfulness, and God uses it time and time again. They are, they are bound together in, an ex, in a, in a promised relationship, promise faithfulness. The Bible calls it a covenant. That's what marriage is, a, a covenant between two people. And God uses that picture to show how bound he is with his people. But let, let me... Let me read you some. This, is, this really is just skimming it through. I'm, I'm not going to expect you to turn to these. We'll turn to some other ones a little bit later on. But here is what the prophet Isaiah says. He says this. This is Isaiah 54 verse 5. Your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. So God calls himself... Their husband, on a few pages, pages, Isaiah 62, verse 5. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. God will marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will God rejoice over you a consistent picture across a number of Old Testament writers, that God will delight and love and take joy in his people as a bridegroom takes joy in his bride. Flip it round, when things go wrong, when God's people walk away from him, that is seen as unfaithfulness or even adultery as they worship other gods. So it's seen as breaking their marriage promises. In fact, in some Bible books, I think particularly of the book of Hosea, it really is quite graphic. You need a, a, a strong coffee before you read Hosea. It really is strong stuff. So this picture of a husband and a wife, as a picture of God and his people, comes from somewhere. It's built on something. It doesn't just flip, flip from nowhere. And it comes from Genesis chapter 2 right at the beginning of the Bible as God creates humankind <laughs> God creates humankind and he makes them male and female so flip back with me would you to Genesis chapter 2 we're on page 5 Now, this evening we're going to be looking at various Bible passages. We're not going to be looking at all the details of all of them. I just want to pull out some particular things. So here we have in Genesis chapter 2, the creation of not Adam but Eve. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, or as the footnote says, uh, part of the man's side, and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that, <clears throat> that then becomes a picture for what is said about marriage. And this is where we're going to go. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And in that sentence... You've kind of got, in summary, everything the Bible says about our human marriages. They're exclusive, a man and a woman. There's a decision, leave father and mother. There's a commitment, united to his wife. And then it's physical. They become one flesh. Exclusive, decisive, committed, and physical. That is the picture of marriage that runs from Genesis 2 right the way through. Now, at various points in the Bible story, there are different kind of variations of this. Famously, there are a number of uh, Old Testament uh, lead characters who have more than one wife. They're polygamous. David. Solomon, to name but two. Abraham. It's often said that, that, that that's other, a different picture to this. I, I want you to bear in mind when you read those. At, at every point where you've got a Bible character who has more than one wife, at that point the story goes off the rails. It's kind of a marker for the Bible writers that the character is doing something they shouldn't be doing, they're behaving like the surrounding nations by engaging in polygamy so yes you've got lead old testament hero figures engaging in polygamy but time after time those are turning points in the story where things go wrong because the genesis 2 picture is the standard at the beginning the other thing to say and this uh this is tricky i realized that tonight with with the football and clearing the building, this may not be the time to, to have big conversations. So we do come back to me. Let's have lots of other conversations about this stuff. But this picture is very clearly heterosexual, isn't it? The, the picture here is not one of two brides or two bridegrooms. And there's never a, a swapping round. So God is never the bride with Israel the bridegroom. It's always the other way around. There's a, a very clear heterosexual model for marriage and when it goes up to God's relationship with his people he is the bridegroom they are the bride now that picture comes right the way through to the New Testament so we've we've been hearing from Mark over the past few uh, Sunday evenings different ones of Jesus parables we thought about Jesus teaching in the morning as well and Jesus refers to himself time and time again as the bridegroom's he uses it straight as a description and he uses it as a number of his stories as well of a wedding. And it's as though he takes the picture from the Old Testament of the relationship between God and his people, bride and bridegroom, and says, this is me. I am everything the Old Testament pointed to by way of bridegroom and I'm right here in front of you. You, my people... Are my bride, I am the bridegroom, and it works out in funny little details too. So there's a, there's a at the beginning of John's Gospel. Uh, you in, you meet the guy called John the Baptist, who's kind of the forerunner of Jesus, and he kind of calls himself, in our terms, the best man, the groom's best friend. I'm I'm not the one with the spotlight. He says, I'm just the one carrying the rings. Effectively, I, I'm the one. Who, I'll, I'll make the funny speech, and he'll make the real one. I. Not quite, he doesn't say that, but he says, I'm the forerunner, this isn't about me, this is about the one who is coming after me. And in a number of Jesus' parables, he talks about the future promise, the future coming kingdom of God, as a remarkable joy-filled party wedding. And he warns us, too, about the danger of not accepting his terms of the wedding. There's even one story where somebody is kicked out from the wedding because they're not recognising who the bridegroom is and who the wedding is for. So Jesus takes that Old Testament picture and he says, I'm the bridegroom. I'm the one that it's all about. And then other New Testament writers take that and look at it in more detail. We're going to look at three. Three pictures of marriage and the church. Three examples, if you like. The first is this. If you flip with me to Paul's letters of the church in Ephesus, the Ephesians. If you're uh, not familiar with the Bible, we're around about page 1176. 1176. Where Paul takes this idea of Jesus as the bridegroom and us as the bride and really reinforces it, really takes it home. So look with me uh, at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's the Genesis 2, remember. This is a profound mystery but I am talking about Christ and the church. In other words, he says, marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church, a deliberate, designed one. It's explicitly Genesis 2, but explicitly about Jesus, Christ and the church. How does that work? Well, flip back a a few sentences. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washings with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Why? Because we're one flesh. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their own body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. The relationship between Christ and his church is as intimate as, As the relationship between a husband and a wife becoming one flesh. Think about that. That's not just about the relationship between one Christian and another Christian being part of one body. That would just make us like a club or a team. It's not just about the relationship between a Christian and Christ. That would be quite individual. But he's saying that we... We, plural, are related to Christ as one body. We belong to God. That's why our love here, our relationships here, are hugely important. They show the nature of the gospel to the world. We are one with Jesus together. Let me move into something a little bit more controversial. Maybe a little bit more adult. It's implied all the way through, it's just a sort of a a necessary consequence of what Paul is saying, I think, that this is a heterosexual marriage. It's it's the implied norm. The question is this Does this mean that there's something essentially heterosexual marriage? heterosexual, in the Bible's view of marriage? Or can we change the relationships, in particular in our culture, to a same-sex relationship and still have a marriage in the sense that reflects the relationship between Christ and church? This is a hugely important topic, a massive one. Please come back to me and talk to me because this is just one piece of the puzzle. But we just need to remember that whenever we are talking about the Bible's content on marriage, we're actually talking about the Bible's content on Christ and the church. It's never just about marriage. It's a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. I think it goes something like this. I think, I may be wrong on this, I think it goes something like this. that in a marriage, you've got two people who are profoundly similar. They're both human beings. You can't marry a lemming or something. They are profoundly similar, profoundly the same. But they're also profoundly different, male and female. And that's how salvation works. Jesus is both profoundly the same as us, as human, and profoundly different from us, as God. And it's because he is both different and the same that he can grab hold of us and rescue us from the the plight we are in. So I would argue that there's something built into marriage which reflects the rescue story built into the Bible. Let's just remember then, where we began marriage is not for every christian jesus showed that didn't he he was single all the way through his life he taught it he modeled it and we have to say that sometimes we have idolized it and we've fantasized about it and we've excluded about it and we've made people feel bad because they're single not married and all sorts of things we've burdened people because they're single Marriage is not for all Christians. Never was intended to be for all Christians. But Christ and the church is for all Christians. Being part of church is for every Christian, whether you're single or engaged or married or divorced or widowed. We are all in Christ's bride. So in that sense, we all need to have access to this picture of marriage as a picture of Christ and the church, whatever our personal social status is. When we're talking about marriage, we're never just talking about marriage. I said there are three pictures. Here's here's a second one. Here's number two. Being engaged is a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. Not just marriage, dial it back. Being engaged is a a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. All through the Old Testament, I said there was a picture of a party coming, the great wedding banquet. Jesus talks about the wedding banquet which is coming. And where we are in the meantime is waiting for that to come. And again, the New Testament develops that, takes it from Jesus and turns up the dial on it. So flip back a few pages to 2 Corinthians 11. Paul writing to the Corinthians, uh, yeah, modern day Corinth in Greece, 1165. And he's dealing with a bunch of people who are flirting with a different Christian message and some different Christian teachers. And Paul says this I hope you will put up with me with a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the snake's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Look look at the first half of that. He's saying this, you have been promised to Christ. That that puts a a direction in your diary. Not a date, we don't know when Jesus is coming, but it puts a direction in our diary and we belong to him. We are bound to him. Now, different cultures work this out in different ways, with different models and different customs and all sorts of ways, but it it seems to be a pretty much universal human custom that there is a period of waiting between giving a promise, and getting married. And that, that tension between the now and the not yet, in our culture we call that being engaged, that's another picture of the relationship between Christ and his church because we're, we're waiting for him. And that means it, it touches themes of commitment and purity and waiting and patience, and impatience. I mean, there's Alice and Nathan over there. Uh, are you feeling patient or are you feeling impatient? Yeah, a little bit of both. Yes, <laughs> probably more with the impatience. That's 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 a really good picture of our Christian wait, isn't it? A patient impatience. We want Jesus to come back. We're going to wait for him to come back. We're going to be, remain faithful to him while we wait for him to come back, but we long for him to come back. And as we are engaged to Christ, so we say over our lives, we are increasingly committed. And he becomes in charge of increasing circles of our lives. And throughout our lives, we will keep ourselves pure For him, remember that Old Testament theme of being unfaithful, of committing a spiritual adultery with our values, with our practices, with our assumptions, with our behaviour. We won't commit adultery with the 21st century. We will remain pure and devoted to Christ. And we will be marked by that Patient impatience. That the date in your diary is not when you next get paid. It's not when you leave school or when you graduate. It's not when you move out from your home. It's not when you get promoted. It's not when you get married. It's not when you retire. It's none of those things. The great date in your diary is when Jesus returns. And that's the date we're looking forward to. So, third picture. Being married is a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. Being engaged is a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. Third, a wedding is a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. I said Jesus used this. John the Baptist used this. Let's go right to the end of our Bibles. Almost to the last few pages. uh, Revelation chapter 19. Verse 7. This is the great song at the end. Well, the end but also the beginning of the next part of the story as we are in glory with Jesus. And here's the song. Let us rejoice and be glad and give God glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. There they are, patient, impatience, faithful, true, waiting for Jesus to return. And then flip on to to Revelation 21, verse 1. Here's Here's a beautifully long description. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He carried me away in a spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall, and twelve gates, and twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. It's not how you normally expect a bride to be dressed, is it? It's it's a picture. It's a picture of faithfulness and love and joy. Isn't it an extraordinary thought that the Bible begins and ends? with a picture of marriage as a relationship between God and his church. Let's expand this idea. Think about how these beautiful clothes have been prepared for the bride. What's that a picture of? We have no idea of the love Christ has for us. We have no idea of how perfect he has made us. We have no idea how beautiful he sees us. We have no idea how happy he will be to set his eyes upon us. I saw Dave's face when Cat walked down the aisle towards him. That is nothing to the look on Jesus' face as his bride appears from heaven and as Christ sees us. Marriage is a picture of Christ's love for his church. Engagement is a picture of Christ's love for his church. And the wedding is a picture of Christ's love for his church. Marriage is a picture, engagement is a picture The wedding is a picture of our faithful, patient, pure, committed waiting for our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's be quiet for a second. Heavenly Father, thank you for this picture, which is in some ways so ordinary, works across all cultures, all places, all times, all seasons. We all know someone who is married. Thank you for this picture of, on the one hand, your love, and on the other hand, our patient waiting, our our call to be committed and pure and to belong to you. And we will pray that we will take delight in your great delight in the work you have done for us in Jesus. Amen. Amen.